Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I hope you guys are doing good. I hope the holidays um, were manageable. And um, starting up a new year, people like to have new habits. (laughs) You know, like this is going to be a better year. And part of that is we're going to eat better. We're going to sleep better. We're going to have a better, fulfilling, healthier life. So I thought it'd be really helpful to bring on Allison, who is a sleep and wellness coach for the new year. I think it's really fitting to talk about preschool sleep issues because preschool sleep issues. Let me back up. I feel like some of the early anxiety symptoms happen in toddler and preschool. And a lot of times the first issues are our sleep, you know, eating and sleeping are, are two really big ones. And I haven't really covered that in the podcast as far as how do we help specifically preschoolers with their sleep struggles? So we're going to get into that. You're welcome. You thank me in advance because uh, Allison's going to give you some really good tips and she is phenomenal at this. Before we get started though, I do want to say thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy. They're available in the U.S. and even in countries outside of the U.S. You can schedule your free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is a right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. I will leave a link in the show notes. So um, I have Allison here. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. So I want to give you um, an introduction and introduce you to my audience. For those of you that aren't familiar with her, um, Allison is a sleep and wellness coach. Uh, You earned your pediatric sleep consultation certificate uh, through the Family Sleep Institute. Your website is sleepandwellnesscoach.com. And I love how you offer parent support and guidance on how to address sleep patterns, starting at newborns, um, or even people who have in utero, you know, preparing for their newborn all the way up to toddlers and preschoolers. Um, you just started a podcast and you offer individual coaching, but you also have phenomenal courses on your website as well. So welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks so much for having me. What's your podcast called again? It, it's how long till bedtime. Oh, I love that. All right. So check that out. Just want to give a shout out to that. So I invited you on to talk specifically about preschooler sleep, because I feel like they're um, their own little people, you know, preschoolers are developmentally different. We're going to talk about them differently than we would toddlers and definitely uh, older kids. So what we'll just jump right into it. What are some of the, the biggest issues you see with sleep around preschoolers? Well, preschoolers are really different than say infant sleep. So infant sleep, we're really trying to teach them how to kind of catch on to routines and rhythms. Whereas, like you said, preschoolers are little people. They're walking, talking people with opinions. They have the ability to be anxious, to have fears. They're retaining so much from each little experience. And so when you think about sleep, language is a big piece of sleep with preschoolers. And typically there's some sort of trigger that sends them a little bit into a spiral in the sleep department. 
And it's a different sort of reset process than say working with an infant. So there, it, I handle sleep very differently with preschoolers than I would infants. Yeah, that's interesting. Language, I want to go back to that. That's interesting to me. In what way does language impact their sleep? So I like to say that preschoolers, and I think anyone who's had a preschooler can attest to this, they don't like surprises. So a lot of times when it comes to sleep, parents may say, all right, tonight we're going to do this. And they come up with a plan and then they just start implementing it. And to the preschooler, it feels like, what the heck is happening? (laughs) Why are they changing the game? And they get more anxious or more agitated or they push back more because they were not brought in on the plan. And so I don't necessarily bring preschoolers in to come up with the plan, but I think the language piece and how you introduce a plan is actually probably 90% of the process of ensuring that they know exactly what is expected of them and what they can expect from their parents. I think that's what really helps preschoolers ease into sleep consistency and not, they'll always push back their preschoolers, but to not have as much resistance and pushback. Ah, I gotcha. So that's interesting because I do feel like you're right. Like we implement a plan to our to our, our, our baby, you know, it's like, this is our plan. And now we're going to start it tonight and we do it to the baby, but with preschoolers, some of us might have that mentality still like, this is our new plan. We had learned this new tip. We're going to do it to our preschooler. And like you said, especially for my audience where these are, um, these are anxious preschoolers. So they, cause I think developmentally, I mean, you work with all, you don't work with just anxious, um, sleep issues, but the kids that we're dealing with are even more heightened to changes even than what's even developmentally appropriate. So working as a team and communicating that to your child is helpful as well. That's a good point. And I think, and you can probably speak to this even more than I can, but if you're prone to anxiety and then you add sleep deprivation on top of it, which a lot of parents who come to me, they now have a child who's sleep deprived because they are having sleep struggles the anxiety is next level. It's even higher. And at the end of the day, they're their most tired and their anxiety is often their highest. That's why people will say they're most anxious about sleep. They could be anxious about a lot of things, but sleep's a really struggle, a real struggle. And part of that is because they are their most tired. So yeah. it, it makes them very anxious to try new things. Oh, I a hundred percent agree. I feel like that's why it's so pivotal that we get sleep under control because it's sleep and eating like the two, like really things that anchor us in our day become dysregulated and it is a vicious cycle, which I'm sure, you know, more than I do, you know, that if they're not sleeping well, then regardless of whether they even have anxiety or not, the ripple effect of being irritated and the parent being frustrated and losing their patience is like tenfold. So, and sleep for me, I noticed with my work, like sleep, darkness, bedtime (laughs) is one of the most anxious times of the day, especially for preschoolers, but even for older kids. So totally. And I also think at that time of day, parents are most tired, most anxious, most fried, they're the most fried too. And so I think sometimes we go into bedtime feeling anxious, like, oh gosh, how's it going to go tonight? What are they going to resist this? Are they going to worry about that? And I think our kids pick up on that energy too. So when we are 
kind of trying something here or trying something there and not quite sure of the next step or we start to second guess ourselves. I do think particularly the anxious kids, they pick up on that energy right away. So then they also want to push back or, or, or try to control the situation. I actually think the more anxious children start to try to grab for control of the bedtime process because they don't feel confident that their parents have it. So if they don't feel confident their parents know what they're doing, then they start to kind of grasp for control. That's interesting. So in what ways do you see them? Um, how does that, how does that present itself? This like control issue? So it's usually in extras. So could we read one more book? I need one more drink of water. I need to go to the bathroom one more time. I want this night light on. I want the closet light on. I want the hall light on. I want the door open. I want the bathroom. I mean, it's just, and it usually starts with one request and then it spirals into a lot more. And not that we never want to give in to our kids, but sometimes I think when they suddenly have control, it's like, oh, wait, I'm in charge. Oh gosh, I'm not old enough to be in charge. Oh, I'm in charge. Okay, what else do I need to be asking for? And so the the requests, the extras can start to spiral out of control. So let's just jump right into that. Um, so then what should a parent do with that? Because I do feel like that's a very common complaint. And for those that are listening that have kids that are maybe like predisposed to OCD, it can get even worse because then it's like, you know, controlling, I want a kiss to my left cheek and a kiss on my right cheek. And you need to say, I love you too, not just, I love you. And so it can get very scripted and very controlling. Yes. And actually my oldest daughter had this exact issue where she scripted specifically what we had to say, and it did get longer and longer. And it was, you know, you had to say, I love you too. I hope you get a good night's sleep. I mean, it was very, very scripted and long. Mm-hmm. And so with those children, it's deciding what you are willing to do. So adding the structure to the bedtime routine. So you want to be very clear. It's, um, it, it doesn't have to be this exact routine, but let's say it's uh, take a bath, then it's go to the bathroom, then it's put on your PJs, then it's brush your teeth, then it's read three books. You want to be specific, the number, not just read books or even read for 15 minutes. As they get older, I might do that, but that can be a little hard for a preschooler. So read three books, then it be very specific. It's get tucked in, sing a song, get a kiss on your cheek, but one kiss or be specific. It's one kiss say goodnight. And then if you have a child who is dictating what you say, which I did, I say what I'm willing to say, which is usually something of what they want. But then I say, and that's it. That's where I'm going to stop. So I'm going to say, goodnight. I hope you get a good night's sleep. I love you to the moon and back. I'll see you in the morning, night, night. That's what I say to my daughter still at this age. So she mm-hmm. still wants that very, but it's no longer two minutes worth of, and then you're going to give me one more kiss and then you're going to do, <laughs> then mm-hmm. we kind of just cut it off. So I will agree to some of the things that they want, but I make it short and concise. And you want to say, and then I'm going to say that. And then I'm going to, and then whatever, I'm going to sit with you till you fall asleep or then I'm going to leave the room and then I'm going to come back. You just want to be super, super specific. And then when they're pushing back, you might say, first of all, you would tell them in advance, you know, this is what we're going to do tonight. And if they push back right then, when you say, here's our plan, I always tell parents, don't negotiate with them because that's then playing the control game of, well, which one of us is in charge? So what I like to say to kids is, I understand that this will feel different, but the good news is mommy and daddy are going to help you or who, you know, whoever's in charge. But the good news is I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you get used to this new process. So rather than negotiating, which preschoolers are really good at doing, 
I just come back immediately with, I understand this feels different, but I'm going to help you. But if you've been clear the whole way of what's going to happen, even when they push back, you'll say, oh, but remember our next step is this. And now I'm going to do this. And so you just kind of hold firm, but comp, you know, they know what's happening and you hold room for their disappointment, but you stay strong in the plan that you would talk through with them. So how does that, that consistency help in the sleep? I mean, I know, but let's just explain that to other people. Yeah. I I think in general, it's fair to say that young children thrive with structure and limits. And when there's a clear structure in place, I think they feel less anxious because they don't have to worry about what's going to come next. So generally, I find a lot of the resistance parents deal with, whether it be bedtime or middle of the night wakings or waking too early, it either becomes anxiety or curiosity. So if you have a child who's not anxious, they might be curious, like, wonder what will happen if I leave the room or an anxious child might be like, I don't know what's going on. I'm going to leave the room. And so they're going to leave the room. So having really clear structure helps them settle in. They know what's going to happen if they leave the room. Or I would say, tell your kids what you're doing. So sometimes people are scared to say, well, after I tuck you in, what they're going to go do. And I said, well, always tell them, I'll be doing the dishes, I'll be folding the laundry, or I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to go to bed. Because inevitably, kids will come out of their room. And if when they come out, you're doing what you said, they start to feel more confident that they don't have to worry all the time, because you are exactly doing what they expect, which is doing the dishes, tidying up. And I think that helps too, because they start, some kids start to wonder, like, well, what are they doing? Where are they? (laughs) Or they have FOMO. And Mm -hmm. so being very clear about what you expect from them and what they would find if they left the room and what you're doing and what your plan is, I think helps them. And so just having really clear structure, I think reduces anxiety for a lot of children because they don't have to worry about what's going to happen next. Which makes sense because I think just that predictability of knowing is it my mom said, or my dad said, this is exactly what's going to be happening. And this is exactly what's happening. Um, I think sometimes parents, you know, one are so nervous about rocking the boat because they feel like it's going to create this huge meltdown at night, which often it does. Um, and also they use kind of like ninja tactics, which I'm sure a lot of parents are gonna be like, Oh my gosh, she's talking about me. You know, where like you pretend to sleep with your child, you know, until they fall asleep and then you like inch your way out, you know, or you're by the door and then you kind of like, you know, do an army crawl away from the door so that you can go and like, you know, watch Netflix. And then if they call you, you're like right back by the door, pretending that you've always been there. Um, can you talk about how long-term that's not helpful? Cause I know a lot yes. of parents are doing that. Yes. And so I will work with a lot of parents that will say, for example, I tell them, I'm just going to sit right outside the door. And then I say, Oh, okay. And then what do you do? Oh, well then I walk away. And then I get that. And usually it will work. There's a short-term period where the child believes them, but the issue is at some point they're going to come out. So let's say they have a legit reason. They have a stomach ache or for some reason they decide they have to come out and you're not there. We have now broken the trust completely over what's happening around bedtime. So I am a big advocate for honesty is the best policy. And so the struggle with the crawling out would be if you were not crystal clear with, I will sit here until you fall asleep. But then once you fall asleep, I will leave the room because I'm going to do X, Y, Z. 
and with the ultimate goal of I'm going to go to bed because I also love to go to bed because sleep's so important. I, I really talk to preschoolers about that. They mm-hmm. need to appreciate that the parents need that sleep too. And that's how they move forward without being grumpy the next day. But if it's the child falls asleep expecting you to be there and then they wake up, they feel duped. So they're going to resist falling asleep. Next time you come in there, they're going to try harder not to fall asleep because they think you're going to dupe them <laughs> and leave the room. And so tricking our kids, I never want kids to be, even infants. I don't, I don't like children to be tricked into falling asleep. And it doesn't mean you can't stay there with your anxious child to help them fall asleep. But I always say, be very clear what's going to happen when they fall asleep. I will sit here until you fall asleep. And then I'm going to go do X, Y, Z. And then I'm going to go to bed. And if you got up in the middle of the night, you know where I'll be in my bed because Mm -hmm. I'm going to be sleeping because we all need sleep so we can run, jump and play the next day. And so that I'm not grumpy and preschoolers start to be able to understand that waking parents up during the night can have an effect the next day. So for example, if your child had you up all night and then I wouldn't say intentionally snap at them, but if you snapped at at some point the next day, because you're irritable, you might say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry that I just snapped at you. But because you woke me up five times, I'm a little grumpy today, but I hope I can get some more sleep tomorrow so I can be less grumpy. So I do think preschoolers can also start to understand that their actions can ripple through the house a little bit and start to appreciate that everyone needs sleep. It's not just them. This is not a their problem and no one else in the house is having to get sleep as well. I love that perspective because I don't think I've ever really thought about it like that. Like one teaching the value of sleep to preschoolers because you're teaching sleep hygiene, like you're teaching them how they're going to view sleep for the rest of their lives. And I think sometimes we're thinking about putting that bandaid on this problem of like, let me just get them to sleep so I can get some rest. So I can just relax. And really we're teaching them long-term their relationship with sleep, which is really important. And I love, it's very similar to my style. I love how you're like Frank with them and you're like, Hey, um, this is what's going to happen. And, um, you know, this, you're going to feel better when you sleep and you need a certain amount of time. I wouldn't give hours, but you need sleep makes you feel better. And, and I love how you bring it away from just them because developmentally it's appropriate for them to be self-absorbed, but get them to see the bigger picture. Mommy's grumpy because she didn't get enough sleep, you know, and so that they make that connection, not to put guilt on them, but for them to make a connection that sleep equals, you know, a more content, solid, you know, waking experience. So I love that. I do think like yeah. some parent go on. No, I do. And when kids get a good night of sleep, I always tell people point it out the next mm. day when you catch them in a happy moment where they're in a joyful, giggly moment, you can say, Oh, I love seeing you so happy. And I bet part of the reason you're having such a great day today is because you got so much awesome sleep. So your body feels really good today. And that can be hard if you have a child that's really struggling with sleep to catch those moments. But part of, you mentioned the band-aid, sometimes people will do something and they'll say, well, it worked momentarily. And then they slipped back. And I always say, when you have those moments where it's working, you have to capitalize on every single moment to help the child change their mindset into being thinking of themselves as someone who sleeps well. I start that as early as 18 months where I start to tell a child, you got great sleep. Oh my gosh, you got great sleep energetically in the morning. Because you want them to identify as someone who sleeps well. Sleep's a mind game, not completely, but some of it is. And I think a lot of adults can attest to that. You know, sometimes you think like, oh, terrible at sleep. And it kind of is a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so if you can start to have a young child 
identify as someone who sleeps well, it can be a complete game changer and it can remove some of that anxiety because it, it doesn't become something they dread. It's like, oh, I'm someone who sleeps well, but you have to act quickly when you have catch those good moments to change their mindset. Yeah. It's so interesting, you know, how mindset does play a, a role in sleep and how we are developing really the foundation of how they're going to view sleep no pressure parents, you know, because it's a, it's an evolutionary process, but I think sometimes, and I get this because I've had my periods too. And I had preschoolers where I'm just like, you know what, I'll work on that some other time. We're at a rough patch and it's just easier to, um, I don't know. And I didn't do this, but I know a lot of parents do like, let me just let them fall asleep in my bed and I'll carry them back to their bed and I'll deal with sleep maybe, or they'll just outgrow this and things will get better when they're older. What do you say to that? I would, it's not impossible for that to happen. So I, I would never say never that kids will eventually, you know, people will say they won't take their pacifier to college. True. They won't. But I will say I've gotten 10 year olds out of their parents' beds. So yes, I do believe some kids, they get to school, elementary school, and they look around and they think like, oh, this is embarrassing. Maybe, you know, the, the peer pressure will get them out of their parents' bed, but not all kids, particularly the more anxious children, I think. So I have definitely had to help parents get 10-year-olds out of their beds who've never really slept independently. So it's not that it can't fix itself, but I, I personally don't think people should bank on that. And I know no pressure on parents, but when you, if you sleep well as a child, your chance of sleeping well as an adult is significantly higher. Whereas if you talk to adults, if their parents remember what they slept like, I work with parents who say, I'm a terrible sleeper. And my mom told me that I've always been a terrible sleeper, even when I was a kid. And they tell me these horror stories of their own sleep. And I think it's, some of it is genetic. I think you do have natural sleep talent. But even if you're not naturally inclined to sleep, if you can teach your body earlier to get good sleep and to be in a good rhythm, you do set the stage to be a good sleeper, you know, through elementary school onward. And so I do think things can pass for some kids. We all know people who say, well, eventually they got out of my bed. So I, I don't think it's impossible, but it won't always work out that way. Yeah. And I think for the anxious kids, the likelihood is a little bit not to be a Debbie Downer, but a little bit less even because I've worked with so many people in my practice where the kids were, you know, 12, even 17, 18. I've had kids who are about to go off to college and didn't know what they could do because they normally still sleep with their parent. And so, um, you know, there are people who have philosophically, you know, they have like a family bed and that's different. We're not talking about that. Like if that's your philosophical approach, that's totally respectful and that everybody should do themselves. You know, you do you. But I think if you are what I've worked with, and I'm sure you work with this 10 times more than I do is parents who don't want that. They want their kids to sleep in their own room independently, but aren't able to because of this dynamic that's happening. Exactly. I completely agree. So if that's, you know, sleeping with your child out of choice, because it's a choice is very different than having a child who you would like to sleep independently, who doesn't feel like they can do that. It's a very different yeah. process. Yeah. And I think they are very interrelated as far as working with kids with anxiety or OCD and working with kids with sleep, because it is about self-regulation, you know, and a lot of times what I teach is, you know, we're, we're coaching our kids to help themselves through anxiety or help themselves through OCD. And 
lot of times people think, well, the preschooler can't do it. And I feel like that's where you start if you can, if you know, but even with sleep, I feel like it's sometimes the parent is regulating the child. So I can't sleep unless my parent is right there. Or I can't sleep unless my parents patting my back throughout the night, or I can't sleep in, unless I know my parent is holding my hand while I'm in their bed, while I'm in their room. And so it's, how do you separate that out and teach a child to self-soothe? Really? It's about self-soothing. It is. And I think you'd mentioned this earlier that it's intimidating for parents to take that on. So typically when I, I work with a lot of preschoolers, possibly more than any other age group, preschool parents, and nine out of 10 times they say, oh, my child won't do that. They can't do that. Or I, I could not remove one of these steps. Mm-hmm. And I always tell their parents, you do, you do need to be mentally prepared to do it. That's the best time when you're mentally prepared to do it. And you need to hold space for some pushback because that's age appropriate, anxious or not pushing back and testing limits is totally age appropriate preschool behavior. And then the more anxious they are, I'd say probably the more likely they are to what I would say, throw a fit, you know, throw a tantrum or, or just get hysterical about it. And I always tell parents, you can stay right there and just hold space for that. Just sit there and think, I appreciate that they're very disappointed that I'm not going to hold their hand the entire time they'll fall asleep. But maybe you're still physically sitting right there. So we've just inched one thing away. I'm not going to hold your hand the whole time you fall asleep. I'll rub the top of your hand for a little bit. And then I'm going to take a break. And then I'm going to rub the top of your hand. And then I'm going to take a break. And if you, they can be disappointed. You can stay right there. And just, I would say, just think about the fact that you're holding space for their disappointment so that your energy is still cool and calm versus like, oh my gosh, they're freaking out. That energy is not conducive. So generally it's a night or two for each little step that they're going to push back. And then as soon as they ease up on that, you can move to the next step of you're doing such a great job. Now tonight I'm going to move my chair, you know, out of arm's reach. Now I'm not sitting within arm's reach of you, but I'm still sitting right here. And you just sometimes have to take baby steps. But generally speaking, if you communicate the plan, really clearly, and then you follow through on exactly what was communicated and you do not veer off course, they only push back for a few nights and then they kind of settle into the new normal. And the new normal is now rubbing the hand and then stopping, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it may be. And then you're ready to kind of take the next baby step. And that's what I like forward. about your approach is it's, it's not, it's not a sink or swim approach. It's not, you know, leave your, your child screaming and crying and throwing up and go down into the kitchen and just do the dishes. Like it's a very compassionate, uh, it's a compassionate approach, which is really like honoring the child and honoring you and, and setting healthy boundaries, one small step at a time. Cause I think parents might hear this and they might think, okay, well, I'm really overwhelmed now. Now I know like, okay, I'm destroying my child and they're like long-term sleep, which is not what we're saying, but you know, you can take what you want from what we're talking about and feel like, but it's too big of a mountain for me to climb. And I love your approach. Cause like what you just said, it's like one small step at a time. And sometimes I think we just need to be guided. I know my kids, my youngest has had the worst. Well, I don't want to like, you know, give her a narrative. <laughs> She's not around, but her sleep her sleep hygiene has been really bad, like from the get-go more so than my other two kids who still struggled too. And I know we had a week where like, she was just completely off the rocker, would not sleep. And I remember 
losing my cool and thinking, what, what would I tell other parents to do? And I'm not a sleep therapist, but like it was her anxiety and sleep and um, just having someone else externally guide me would have been so helpful, even for me to have someone just say like, okay, Natasha, calm down. Cause even at the time, my husband said, well, what would you tell other people? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> like I like lost my mind. Cause when you're sleep deprived, you can't function. And so um, that's what I think your resources are so helpful and your, your coaching and your courses, because they really help guide people when you're kind of losing your crap, because you're going to, because you're going to be like, it's, it's symbiotic. So I'm going to rock the boat and my boat is going to be rocked too, which is, and you're both at your weakest moment of the day. I mean, I know I have, I'm most challenged to keep my patients at the end of the day. And Mm -hmm. so when, and then this is also a lot of people say like, Oh, are you a marriage therapist? Because parents (laughs) often disagree. So one parent will want to take this really hard line of we're not doing this anymore. And then the other parents like, but if I just lay with them until they fall asleep, and this is not always the case, but I also think preschoolers pick up on that. And Mm -hmm. so when you're addressing sleep, whether it's with my help or you read a book or whatever it is, the parents have got to be on the same page because I think preschoolers are so smart. And if they sense for a second that they can get the two of you not on the same page, you've lost because their, their anxiety is going to go higher or they're going to use it against you, you know, cause they're so smart and like get you guys distracted. And then, then there's no consistency. So then they won't settle back in. And so I think that's a big piece too, is kids at this age can totally tell if the parents are taking different approaches. And so getting on the same page. And when you tell your child the plan, I always say, have both parents there, Mm -hmm. have, have anyone. And if there's a grandparent who helps, or if there's a nanny who helps, you've got to sit the key players at the table to get on the same page and to show a united front, like this is really good news. We have a new plan to help everyone get more sleep. And I would say it's a team sport. When mm-hmm. you're dealing with a preschooler, you've got to take it on as a team sport. The parents are the team captains, but you have to say like, we have a good plan so we can all get more sleep and have all the key players there because yeah. you, you'll just get fried. And one parent will say like, well, shouldn't you know what you, you should know what to do or, you know, and then it just kind of unravels from there. I bet you said that, that dynamic a lot around sleep for sure. Cause I know I do in my practice and I don't even deal with like, sleep. So, and I like the way you're positive about it. You're like, we, and it's a team thing and you're bringing in the preschooler. I think that that, um, and you're not jumping. I think sometimes parents think it's going to be like, okay, you're in my bed right now. And then we have a plan. You're going to sleep in your own bed. And we bought you a new bunk bat, bunk bed. And we've got you this cute comforter. And they wonder why didn't that work? We bought all this stuff and we made your room super cute. So why aren't you wanting to sleep in there anymore? Um, why do you think that that, cause I see that a lot. You probably do too. Why doesn't, why doesn't that work? I don't think stuff is ever going to fix this sort of thing. And if you think about it, even from our perspective, think of something you worry about and then you kind of redecorating a room is not going to fix it. So, um, I think part of the reason that doesn't work is that I think parents are thinking is a band-aid, almost like a bribe. And and bribery is not going to work in the sleep department, particularly if there's anxiety involved. And so I don't tell people that they have to do anything new in the room that we don't. I never say buy a new anything in the room. I mean, maybe we might buy a sleep light, a, mm-hmm. a toddler clock to tell a child when it's okay to get in and out of bed. 
So they have a visual guide. I'm a big advocate of those. But beyond that, I don't think products are going to work. And what they really need is that clear plan. But I do tell them that the ultimate goal is to get them to sleep on their own. So when we start with a plan, we'll say, you know what? We have really good news. You're four years old now. You are old enough to sleep in your own bed. And this is awesome. And so we're going to help you. And we have this new plan. And here's what we're going to do. And here's you know what bedtime's going to look like. And here's what's going to happen when you fall asleep. And if you wake up, here's what's going to happen. And communicating all that, but always saying, and then you're all, you're going to become a sleep champion. And one day you're just going to sleep all night in your bed and you're going to love it. It's going to be great. So I always tell them what the end goal is, but there's steps along the way. So I say, I would say, while you're learning to become a sleep champion, to sleep in your own room, mom is going to do this, or dad is going to do this or whoever we're going to do this. And here's what we're going to do. And I think it's, the mindset, no matter what approach you take, is being very clear. What do you expect from the child? What we expect is we want them to sleep in their own bed all night. But what can they expect from us as mm-hmm. they're learning to do that? They can expect us to walk them through this routine. They can expect us to sit in the room or leave the room and come back and check on them every two minutes. Whatever the approach may be, having them know what they can expect from you is pretty critical because otherwise they're trying to get something from you. And they may not even know what they want, but they're trying to, they don't know what they can get. So they're going to push and get more and being clear about things like uh, water is a big one. I need mm-hmm. more water. I need more water. Well, I'm not going to give you water. And I don't say it's not to be mean. I say, well, if we drink a ton of water before we go to bed or while we're in bed, you know what that means? That means our body has to wake up during the night to go to the bathroom. And really, we don't want our body waking up to go to the bathroom. We want our body to sleep and sleep and sleep all night long. And so after dinner, we're just going to have a small sip of water before bed. And then we're not going to have water again until the light turns green and we wake up in the morning. That's just the truth. None of us should be drinking a ton of water before bed. So I say, if it's something like that, it's not just, I'm not going to give you water because the preschoolers are like, well, why the heck not? Like, mm-hmm. That's just stupid. Well, why not? Because it's not great. It's going to make it hard for your body to sleep. You're going to have to go to the bathroom. So we're going to limit water and you want to have a plan with limiting water make sure they're well hydrated throughout the day. But I explained to preschoolers why we're doing things. We're not going to read five books because then we're going to be going to bed too late. Did you know when you go to bed too late, it makes it harder for your body to fall asleep? Isn't that so interesting? Did you know if we leave this closet light on, it tells your brain, wake up, wake up, wake up. It makes it very hard for your body to fall asleep. So any change I'm making, it's intentional. And I'm very clear with the kids why we're doing it. They may not like the change, but I don't want it to be a change for change. I want it Mm. to be an intentional change. I love that. I love the way that you respect them and you talk to them and give them information as you're teaching them and you're doing these things, which I think is so important and so helpful. Um, And I do want to say for those, I have to kind of weave in anxiety for a second, just because that's what I do. But I think- a lot of times when parents are dealing with like separation anxiety, clinical separation anxiety, they start, they try to start with bed um, and the child can't even separate from them during the day. So you have a child who's like shadowing you the entire day is like at your foot or behind you while you're cooking, doing laundry or whatever. And they can't, they, they have to have you in eyesight. And then they, they want to work on sleep first and say, okay, well, we'll just get you in your own bed. And if your child can't even separate from you during the day, Sleep, I always say to parents, sleep is going to be, you know, the end game. 
So just a little shout out to those that have separation anxiety, work on it during the day and try, and I have plenty of resources. Um, I have podcasts on separation anxiety, but work on that first um, to work on that, to work on that before you work on sleep. And the other one I just want to mention, just since we're talking about this topic is also addressing preschooler fear. So if they have anxiety, you know, during the day, talk about the things that scare them. Are there things in their room that scare them? Things that look like creepy things when the lights go out and are they afraid of bad guys? Are they afraid of dying? Like, and I have, obviously that's all I do, but I have plenty of resources on how to help them with that, but help them with that during the day. So then you can use Allison's tips and start to create a plan at night. Um, Cause I think sometimes we forget about in my world, parents forget to, you know, as preschoolers that they can actually think about their fears and talk about it. Uh, they're worried about a bad guy or they're worried about whatever worried that the parent's going to disappear if they're not in eyesight. What does that look like? So um, just my little, yeah, I had a, a family I worked with who had, I don't know if he was five or six, he was in kindergarten and he had anxiety, but they had a triggering event where, and I totally, I did this when my kids were infants and I totally know why parents do this, but they put him to bed and then they had a sitter come mm. and then they went out to dinner and he happened to wake up. He had been sleeping well and it just totally unnerved him that the parents were gone. And this, it was a sitter he knew, but mm-hmm. just the whole process unraveled. And so for over a year before they contacted me, he would start at like 4 p.m. saying, are you going to leave? 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 Even though they had not gone out again in a year because they were so terrified of him. And sometimes it's a simple fix. Like I, what I started with is when you sit down and tell him the new plan, you're going to tell him we may leave sometime. We may go out to dinner. Mommy and daddy like to go out to dinner. We like to go on a date, but we will never leave you with a sitter without telling you we're going to leave you with a sitter. And you can ask us one time at night and we're just going to tell you if we're not leaving or not, because we would never leave anyway. And if they said like one night he asked, and it's like, they hadn't really even thought to just clarify Mm. to first own that they shouldn't have done it. So I said, you should acknowledge we we should never have done that. We, we didn't really think about it and we'll never do it again. And we still had to work through lots of other issues, but that little piece got fixed. And so like with the fear thing or bad guys, a lot of times that kind of stuff, and I know it's more your world, but will come from something they've watched that I hear about. And so I always tell people, help them understand that their imagination is very active because that show created that. And so we start to educate them, help kids learn what they want to watch and not want to watch. As they get older, they can self-identify on some of that. But then also try to reassure them about true things. Like you're always safe here. I'm, I will always be here. Or someone will always be here. Mommy or daddy will be here or a sitter will be here. Um, and making sure you have a plan for that fear. Another trick that I like to give kids is I acknowledge that we all worry sometimes. So that I think helps a lot of anxious kids Mm -hmm. like realize, oh my gosh, mom and dad might worry too. And so I always tell kids, everyone worries sometimes. Did you know that mom, mom worries sometimes, dad worries sometimes. And when I worry, when I'm going to bed, I like to hug my pillow because I don't have a lovey or stuffed animal to hug. So I like to hug my pillow and I like to think about things I love doing. Like I love when we go to the beach and build sandcastles, or I love when we walk the dogs around the lake. And then when I think about things I love, my brain doesn't have as much space to worry. And so sometimes giving kids a tool, and I'm sure you have slew of tools, but giving them a tool to navigate the worry Mm -hmm. and normalizing it, that 
they are not the only, because guess what? Tons of moms worry when they go to sleep. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like the mom, isn't that what we all do? Mm-hmm. We get in our bed and we're like, oh my gosh, all the things we want to worry about. And so I think giving them some tools to, to work through that is helpful. And I'm sure you have a slew of resources. to. So I do think the fear thing has to be addressed. You cannot breeze past fear. Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, I, I do, I do recommend that parents don't say, um, you're safe because I'm here (laughs) because anxious kids, they like, they tie their safety with the parent. And so I just, Mm -hmm. and I know it's really weird semantics, but I'll just say like, you are safe in this house. Um, Mm -hmm. the doors are locked, you know, we live, whatever you want to highlight that makes them safe in the house. We have fire alarms or whatever. Um, just because in the clinically anxious world, they start to create some sort of like codependency of like, well, my mom says you're safe. I'm right here. And they're like glued to them. So I know that's a weird, it's a weird thing, but I always tell parents don't say that, but I do feel mm-hmm. like addressing those fears, normalizing it, like you said. And, um, I love, you know, saying that mom has those issues and giving them something to do at, at bedtime is really helpful. I do have like a whole, um, course on sleep anxiety, which is different mm-hmm. than your stuff. It's, um, sleep struggles caused by anxiety and OCD. And it's actually for kids of all ages. So like preschoolers probably all the way up until like 18 would be appropriate. But I do feel like once you resolve that, the anxiety or OCD component of sleep, then parents are kind of still left with, okay, now how do I start a new routine? And that is something I don't cover in my course that that you cover that I think you cover really well. It, and also, I think you also hand help hand hold people in the way that I don't, unless they're in my AT parenting community through your course. So I know that you have a newborn course, which is great. And I'm actually going to gift that to my AT parenting community manager. Who's having a baby in March. She already knows. Cause I told her don't buy any other courses. I'm giving you Allison's um, waiting until January for that. So that it's like three months before she delivers, but you're also coming out with a preschooler course, which I'm very excited about. Can you, can you tell people what that's going to entail? Yeah. So this course is going to be around putting the structure around bedtime and really how do we end bedtime resistance and fears about going to bed. So kind of putting that structure and limits in place, and then also kind of different intervention strategies for teaching independent sleep. So how are we helping them fall asleep? How are we helping them if they're up during the night? And so to walk through all that, we'll also cover naps. Some preschoolers need naps and some don't, some need rest time and some don't. So it'll walk through all of that. So it's a full education piece on on preschool sleep of understanding how much sleep children need and what that can look like and then how to put that structure in place and to set your children up to be able to confidently sleep during the night and take those steps it will also come with support from me because preschoolers will pull new tricks out of the hat when you get started and so having that ability to check in and say okay well mm-hmm. now my son or daughter is doing X, Y, Z and giving you that language to go back with. So that's the big piece is how do we respond when something comes up and not be rattled? So this is a new program I'm creating. And in January, I'm taking the first group of parents through it kind of live. It will ultimately be a recorded course, but they're going to go through it live and have check-in calls, Zoom check-in calls with me. And so that first workshop is on January 6th. Well, that would be exciting to to take it live, you know, to really get your input. So I will leave a link in the show notes, but um, 
in general, people can go to sleepandwellnesscoach.com and hit the tab on the top that says uh, work with me. Yes. And then they should be able to find it that way. But I'll also leave a link directly to it in the show notes as well. Cause that's right around the corner. That's probably in a couple of days once this podcast goes live. Yes. Definitely check that out. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And thanks so much for having me. It's been great. Yeah. So check out Allison's resources. Um, if you're a preschooler, uh, if you have a preschooler, definitely want to roll up your sleeves and um, take advantage of her new course, but also check out your podcast. And you've got, I noticed like really cool articles on your website as well. So a lot of resources um, that people can go check out. So I hope that you found this episode helpful. I hope that um, you're having a uh, good holidays, good end of the holidays, good new year. And if you are enjoying the podcast, don't forget to hit a star on iTunes or Google play, wherever you consume your podcast, get a few extra seconds and you want to leave a positive review. I appreciate that. Um, And don't forget to find a sparkle in everything you do. I'll talk to you again next time. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 